0: And welcome to She Thinks It Podcast, where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we look at this month's policy focus, parents, not government, should control child care. We'll address the very real need that parents face finding affordable childcare, and we'll explore the ways policymakers can reduce government burdens that make it expensive. Yes, it is possible to create an environment that includes diverse, accessible, and affordable childcare. And Carrie Lucas is here to break it all down. Carrie Lucas is the president of Independent Women's Forum, vice president of Independent Women's Voice, and a member of Independent Women's Network. She is the author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to Women, Sex, and Fem- Feminism, the author of Checking Progressive Privilege, and Liberty is No War on Women. Her work has appeared on The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, USA Today, and numerous other outlets. Carrie, a pleasure to have you on She Thinks Today. Thank you so much for having me on, Beverly. And I want to let all our listeners know that they can find this policy focus on IWF.org. I think it's so important as parents are thinking through child care for their kids. And I thought we would just start by breaking down the child care needs, the child care data that we have in this country. How many parents have to put their kids in child care these days? What is the data?
1: You know, it really is, it's, I think that's a great place to start because, um, it's important for people to know just how, I mean, you, how important childcare is in terms of allowing people to to go to work. Um, You have, we saw this kind of in spades during COVID that when childcare systems um, stopped and that includes kind of most importantly, our public school systems um, decided to shutter their doors. That meant that a lot of people could not show up at work. More than half of all um, children under age five are in a childcare system. So this this means they are being cared for by somebody other than their, their parents while they're at um, you know while their parent goes to, goes to work each day so it really is vital that we make sure that we do have childcare that is a- available for parents.
0: And it is it is important. Are you finding that many parents during the era, era of COVID really started reevaluating how they wanted to use childcare and I'm sure many of them just didn't have many options either. Yeah. Well, this is you know I do think that it's important when I, I've been recently I feel like when we're looking at the the um,
1: the proposals that the left is coming out with, and kind of the debate we're having about childcare today, I do think that the co- that COVID has given us just a really important window into um, into the challenges and the considerations we need to have. What's the debate right now about child care is not you know, everybody. There's kind of universal agreement that we all want there to be child care available for parents. We all know that this is important, that in many, many families, um, there's two parents are working or there's a single parent, often a single mom who needs to use child care so she can go to go to work each day. Um, so that's kind of not a question. Um, the questions that are about are about. Um, who's paying for child care and who's in control of child care. And that's really, I think, the most important one. Um, and when we look at what President Biden um, kind of building on what Senator Elizabeth Warren had proposed during her presidential, when she was trying to um, run for president back before um, in uh, before 2020, um, was this idea of kind of having the federal government come in and go from being kind of a, a relatively small player in the child care space to being a huge player in the child care space and once the federal government becomes a huge player in the child care space the child care that is available throughout the country will change dramatically um and particularly i think when we see you know covid for you know one of the small silver linings of this very dark cloud is we got to see kind of um, around the country how different things worked how things functioned and um who did better and who did worse um, as a result of COVID policies, both in blue states versus red states. But I think most interestingly in this case, to look at what childcare centers, what schools, what what institutions that are supposed to help um, support families and care for children, support children, educate children, who stayed open and who didn't, who provided care and who didn't and who helped kids learn and who didn't. And the real takeaway from COVID is that the more government was involved, the worse the programs did. And that's why I think when we think about what the future of child care, we should say the number one lesson is do not put government in charge of institutions like schools and child care centers um, because... They're terrible at their jobs. They're the ones who failed families the worst during COVID.
0: And when we look at some of those childcare centers that were shut down, are those the ones that were affiliated with the government? And what was the difference between private childcare versus public, as far as how soon kids were able to go back to childcare?
1: Yeah, you know it's it's interesting when um, when you look at the at the data. So um, in um, kind of in the height of the pandemic, when um, when everything was closing down in, um, in March of, of 2020, um, the vast majority of when basically all public schools closed, um, um, the vast majority of childcare centers also closed. Some childcare centers and kind of working with their state and local governments were allowed to stay open. Um, but I believe it was it was um, about you know about 70 to 80% of all childcare centers had closed kind of in the, the height of the pa- um, pandemic. The thing that's of interest in contrast, though, is when you fast forward just a little bit, fast forward to fall of 2020, and that's when you have you know, the vast majority of, of public schools, of public schools serving you know um, kids K through 12 in, in America, those remained closed to in-person learning in the fall of 2020, but by that time, in contrast, you had um, um, over 70% of childcare centers had opened and resumed in person, so about 30% of public schools had opened compared to 70% of childcare centers, um, and I really think that's quite telling because um, uh, because you you wonder about the incentives. It's certainly not that. At that point, you know, we now do know that babies were like the smallest kids were actually were um, the least vulnerable to to COVID. But that certainly wasn't what people were thinking then. That wasn't the reason why, um, uh, you know, we weren't opening kindergarten public um, kindergarten, and we were opening these um, these childcare centers. The reason the childcare centers were opening is because the childcare centers wanted to stay open and serve their customers. Um, you weren't going to if you were running a childcare business. Yes, you were getting support from the, the government. Yes, they were providing subsidies to help keep doors open. Um, but they didn't they had a different incentive structure than, you know, I'm a mother of five. I have um, five kids in a public school system here in northern Virginia. And my my school system could not have cared less about um, the fact that I was a working mom with five kids sitting at home and having to zoom into school and learning Essentially, nothing during that that time. My my school system was going to. Their teachers were going to get paid. Their administrators were going to get paid. Um, you know, they didn't really care if they taught us or, or not. Um, it was a very different incentives that, that our public school systems faced compared to childcare. Childcare knew if they don't if if you know if they aren't going to take those kids in and actually provide services for those parents, so those parents could go to work. The parents were going to. They weren't going to pay for it anymore. They were going to say, "Forget it. I'm not paying tuition. You're, um, you know, I'm going to take care of my kids at my house, or find somebody who will provide um, in-person childcare." So it's, I think it's that real contrast, which so, yeah. is so important. Um, and it, obviously, I'm talking about this, and it most vividly we saw this with COVID closures and the decisions they made about whether or not, or how quickly to reopen schools. Um, but this also, this is about responsiveness to parents and to families in general. Um, this goes far beyond just where, whether you're actually going to um, open your doors, but this is also uh, it's you can t- derive take similar lessons about how they respond to parents concerned about content, about um, you know curriculum and how their kids and overall performance. Our public schools don't care because they don't have to. Child care centers, we want child care centers to have to care and right now they do mostly care because um, Uh, because they don't have a captive audience like they would if government basically was just totally footing the bill.
0: And I think it really puts into picture the reason why those of us who like free market capitalism promote it so much, because it is about that incentive structure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but when government is in charge of things, what you're doing is taking away, like you were saying, parents, uh, teachers and schools aren't responsive to parents, because that's not who they answer to. We're in a private system, which is often mocked as only caring about profits, like, yes, they do care about profit, but in that process of caring about profit, that means they need to keep their customers happy. So is this just what you would say is a really good example of why the private system works better than public? Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think that is, is if you think about it, I almost think about, you know, a spotlight on um, where you're turning the, the spotlight and right now for a child care center to, um, to, to survive um you know they do have to and, and uh, we can talk a little bit about some of the the regulatory burdens that child care centers um face because a lot of times you know certainly one thing they have to worry about is making sure that they are pleasing regulators and kind of staying in good standing with the government some of that makes sense we obviously all want there to be um, uh, our child care centers to be safe um, for for children but some of it's really Silly, and some of, it, some of the regulations are just onerous and just make it harder for these places to operate and remain profitable or just keep their doors open. But for the most part, a child care center's focus is on the parents, is making sure that the parents feel satisfied with the service that they're getting from the child care provider because they know that at any point, um, you know, you're know, you not, um, child care is paid for on a month by month basis. Um, uh, you know, there's, um, people are um, capable of just saying, you know what, I'm out. I don't, you're not doing a good job. I'm going to leave. Um, we're obviously with a, um, with schools, especially with public schools, you know, for me to get my kids or to leave our public school system, you know, I I moved here for the, (laughs) for the public schools. Um, so my, I have an option of moving, but we all know that's an incredibly expensive and cumbersome proposition Or I've got to find a private school. And after paying all the property taxes that I do to live in northern Virginia, paying for five kids to go to private school is um, is really hard. Um, A lot of families did make that choice. Obviously, during COVID, we saw a decline in enrollment throughout the country, but particularly in places in public um, K through 12 schools, but in particularly places like where I am in Virginia, where our schools were notorious about um, keeping kids um, from coming into school for as long as they possibly politically and forcing our kids to wear masks and uh, masks and really politicizing our public schools. But man, that's a, that's a big ask for parents. That's something it's a lot of, it takes a lot from parents to make those, those choices. Fortunately with childcare, it's, um, it's easier. It's, um, there's still challenges a lot of, in a lot of places, there aren't as many childcare slots as we would hope, but parents have, have options, which means the childcare providers feel a responsibility um, because otherwise they know they'll, they'll go out of business. And you're right, um, Beverly, it's exactly why capitalism and every place where you would much rather have a be in a place where there's three restaurants competing for your visit business than just than just one, because we know if there's just one restaurant, then you're you gotta take what that menu is. Um where if there's three competing, you know, they're gonna be competing for your for your business and you're gonna get a much better product.
0: And let's get to the common complaint, understandably so, common problem we see is that parents are struggling to afford child care. So that's one reason why we often hear that the government's answer should be government child care to help, especially single moms. You mentioned earlier, low-income families be able to pay for child care if both parents are working or if a single mom is working. What do you say to that argument that it actually helps with the finances? It's only the wealthiest in this country that can afford private child care.
1: Well, you know, I think when I think when we talk about um about the costs of childcare, um there's several different things, kind of aspects of this to, to think about. You know, number one is the actual costs that a daycare center or a child care provider um faces. And um and there are sometimes, you know, you, um the Mercatus um center did a great study looking at different regulations that uh that are common um and that um like things like uh, t- teacher certification, the number like caps that are put on the number of kids that can be cared for by any single um, teacher or childcare provider, and looking at all these regulations to see which were associated with higher quality, um, and which just led to, to higher costs. And they found several that they said had no discernible impact on quality, but just pushed costs up, often by a $1, $1,000. So I-, I think that looking at these regulations and if you and if you look on the child care regulations in general are set by states and localities and if you go through I've um, I've uh, written on on this previously and, and gone through and found some of the really ridiculous examples of child care regulations that are out there that make you think my goodness I would you know how horrible to be a child care um, provider and trying to follow all this they had in some places they stringently, Um, dictate the number of like balls literally say you have to have this many of this size balls per child. And again, as a mother of five, I have no idea how many balls I have in the house because (laughs) they lose them and destroy them half the time. And, you know, who wants to keep track of all this? There was the kind of rules where you would think no parent would ever follow anything like this in their own home. And, um, and so there's some things that are obviously make it really needlessly expensive to, to, um, to run a childcare center. So I think Deregulation, it's not just deregulation, but kind of making um, regulations sensible and and um, rationalizing them would be um, really important and help lower those costs. But I also think we need to be realistic here. Um, as any mom knows, um, raising a kid or taking care of a kid it's time consuming. Um, there is only a certain number, number of when you have a, a, you know, I think the, personally, I thought that the the most kind of labor intensive time with a child is when you're in that, you know, crawler stage, kind of late, um, you know, just to turn it, but as a kid's turning one, you you think of how many kids a, um, a someone could take care of, how many, you know, 10 month old somebody could take care of. And it's only a couple. And, um, and, you know, that person, it's a real job. That person needs to be paid. Um, they're going to be in a facility. Um, it makes sense to me. Sometimes I'll read this kind of at least these headlines that say, "Oh my gosh!" Like taking you know, tuition for a um, for somebody to take care of a baby is is, is higher than uh, than tuition at a state college. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, yes, it's it's hard on people if the, the costs cost of caring for an infant or putting an infant in daycare are expensive. Sometimes twelve fourteen thousand dollars. But you know what? Taking care of an infant um, full time or forty hours a week. That's a lot of work, so it makes sense that this this costs a lot. So I think that the real question is not how much it costs. The real question, and the left certainly knows this, is who pays. Um, the the left, what they're putting together and build back better, it wasn't going to make it cheaper to care for child care. Oh, quite the opposite. They were going to be requiring that child care workers all had you know, college degrees or certificates in education, all of which I think is absurd and um, and totally useless. And you know as Moms and dads know that when you think about the qualifications you want for somebody to care for your kid, mostly you want them to be loving and patient and have kind of a heart for it. It's not whether or not you got a BA and you know whatever from um, from a college. Um, so the left is pushing to make child care more expensive. They just want a cost shift, so they want to make it twenty thousand bucks per kid or whatever at a, a child care center, but they want to cost shift that to taxpayers, and that's what I think is not only dangerous. Um and um will change how childcare centers operate because parents will no longer be really the ones holding the keys and um and holding that, that money and the ones that they're responsible to. But it's also incredibly unfair, not only to people who don't have kids and who shouldn't be paying or have to pay all these bills, but more importantly to parents, and this isn't just you know, this is um this parents who do not want to use government-approved childcare, and that's not just um you know, there's a lot of people who don't want to use government approved child care. It's not just, it's not just wealthy people. In fact, wealthy people are more likely to want to use a formal childcare. It's a lot of people who have um, relatives and who provide either keep a mom or dad at home to provide care for themselves or somebody who has a grandmother or an aunt or <clears throat> another loved one who steps up. And we're using family based care. We should not be disincentivizing family based Mm -hmm. care. That's the wrong direction. It's completely unfair, particularly unfair to like immigrant communities and low income um, communities where this is um, can be very common. Instead, we need to we need to we want to make raising children more important, more affordable. We should focus on helping families, not child care providers.
0: Well, I do want to take a brief moment to ask you, our listeners, a question. Are you a conservative woman? Do you feel problematic just for existing in today's political landscape? We'll have some information to share with you. Every Thursday morning on Problematic Women, Laura Evans and Virginia Allen sort through the news to bring stories and interviews that are of particular interest to you. A problematic woman, that is, a woman whose opinions are often excluded or even mocked by the so-called pro-woman left. Lauren and Virginia break down the news you care about in an upbeat and sharp witted way, so search for problematic women. Wherever you get your podcasts and, and Carrie question for you going back to the plans that progressives have for childcare. It seems that other problems in K 12 would also trickle into childcare. So issues related to curriculum, use of pronouns, sex education. So we're not just talking about the cost where your taxes would go up. If there is government run childcare, we're also talking about ideology that seeps into care as well, correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Beverly. And I think when I talk to parents, um, I think this is what really gets them because um, you know, the the issue of cost of childcare, that's important. Um, but I think we all know there's a lot of ways that government could solve that um without kind of taking over the childcare system. The reason that the government wants to take over the childcare system isn't to help parents, it's to control child care and particularly control the content of childcare. And um, and while you look at the proposals that are being put put forth by um, um, by this administration and Democrats in Congress, it's very explicit. It's um, you know these are they would not just be giving parents kind of vouchers to use wherever they see fit. Um, they would be saying that that you could only use government approved childcare providers. How do you become a government approved childcare provider? You need to follow government rules and use the government. Approved curriculums. They they have. They talk about. You know, it's all given in kind of code words, but it's. Um. They they use terms like developmentally appropriate. Um. In, and inclusive curriculums. I don't know about you, but I've been in the in the K through twelve and um, battles and are familiar enough with some of the language that are used to know. Okay, we're talking about when you start talking about inclusive, you start talking about developmentally appropriate. You're quickly starting to move into the the realm of what's known as CRT, but this very kind of loaded, um, race-conscious curriculums um, and the kind of stuff on on gender that is going to make most parents say, you know what, I don't want my two-year-olds, literally my two and three-year-olds to start to be exposed to some of the materials that people are, are that people are trying to foist on their on their kids and that we see around the country um, being pushed. So absolutely, I think curriculum and content is really kind of the crux of what we should be concerned about here.
0: And final question for you, people who are listening who agree with your take on this and what needs to be done. How concerned should they be that government is inching closer to taking over child care? Do you think that's legislation that could get passed anytime soon? And if so, what should people do to try to raise the alarm?
1: You know, I um, I do think that there's you know not only has this been proposed by Build Back Better, um, but this remains kind of a feature of of kind of the the left, both in states and um, and nationally. Um, so while I don't think there's an immediate threat, I think that Build Back Better, um, that fortunately Senators Manchin and Sinema have expressed that they're not going to be taking up um, some of the proposals that were contained in Build Back Better. So I I don't think we have to worry in the really short term, but definitely long term we need to talk. And I would really encourage people. To talk to other moms and dads and make sure they understand what we're talking about. So much of this is cloaked in the idea of, "Hey, wouldn't it be great to have some free childcare?" And everyone's, you know, around the country says, "Yes, how wonderful!" It's so hard to pay for childcare. Kids are so expensive. I need help. Um, fine, we can talk about help. Do not have that help come in the form of a government takeover because that's. Um, that's uh, you know that's t- problematic in so many ways. And just one final kind of thought on that is another thing you'll see is like is absence from, from this conversation is Head Start and the existing government programs that are out there and that are supposed to be providing childcare. Democrats and, and those advocates for um, government taking over childcare don't like to reference Head Start. They don't like to talk about the results from t- from some of the big state programs that have said, hey, we're going to create this government paid for childcare and it's going to be so great. Kids are going to be doing better academically. But that's because consistently, these study, studies of these programs show that there are no lasting benefits. The kids are not better off in school. They do not, are not better off socially. Um, and um, in some cases, there's negative impacts. So we need to be really careful about those. Um, you know, they'll, they'll try to find one super old study of a really small program and say, oh, that returned seven to one. As often you'll hear that That's that's totally not true. Ask about Head Start, which is the largest federal um, child care program. And you'll see there's there's just no evidence there that this is that this is the panacea that they suggest.
0: Well, it's an important topic that impacts so many people on our country, which is why this month's policy focus is so important. Do read it. Carrie Lucas, the author of Parents, Not Government Should Control Child Care. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us on. Thanks so much,
1: Beverly. I appreciate you having me on.
0: And thank you all for joining us. Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting... IWF.org backslash donate. That's IWF.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends know where they can find more She Thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching.